a playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy, you know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're starting the first episode of our summer hiatus. <laughs> I'm just going to say our summer hiatus. This is our first episode of being on holiday. So <laughs> for the next five weeks or so, uh, Liv and I are going to be doing a little bit of self-care. Are we? Is that the plan? <laughs> I don't know. We're probably just going to bank a bunch of episodes and work really hard on the podcast, but not um, be posting every week. So our plan is to re-release some of our faves, our loves, our buried at the bottom best episodes that we don't want you to forget about. And we don't want to forget about, you know, the things that we did way back when that people might not have found yet, you know, since we got really big. <laughs> since we had some big guests. That part's true. <laughs> we've kind of collaborated to pick. I, I would say that these these five episodes that we've picked, we kind of mutually agreed are our favorites for various reasons. Are they the best? I don't know. But they're the ones that we want you to hear if you haven't already or to hear again if you love them as much as we did. So we're going to start with our, I think our, I think my all-time favorite episode, dare I say. High on the list for me. Not able to commit to favorite, but yes, <laughs> certainly a beloved one. This is our episode on Shania Twain. I feel like we need to sing. I was like going to sing one of her songs and then I just like chickened out because I was anyway, I, I chickened out. I chickened out. You still could. No, no. The moment's gone. The moment's passed. Dream's over. Dream's over. What do you remember about recording this episode? Do you remember recording this episode? I do. I do remember recording this episode. I remember we kept getting interrupted by various things, just whatever. And it didn't actually disturb the flow of the end result, like very surprisingly. What were the interruptions? Oh God, I, we don't need to get into it. It was like, I think Matt got locked out of the, my boyfriend got locked out of our apartment. So I had to go run down and rescue him. I think that you had to go get your mom from somewhere. <laughs> Um, oh, I had to leave at some point. Yeah, mid-episode. And then we had to, or we, I can't remember if we finished it later or we literally just very quickly <laughs> finished. Like we just row, like, like raced through the end of the episode. I think that that's what happened. I don't know if we should be admitting that, but I'm pretty sure that's what we did. You know, this was long before we became <laughs> such seasoned professional podcasters. Um, it was, you know, back then, in October, it was a real crap shoot. <laughs> yeah, but people people really liked this episode, and I think people really liked this episode not because of our excellent podcasting skills, but because of the incredible story of Shania Twain. And so we won't make you listen to our podcasting woes any longer. Let's get into it. The life and times of Shania Twain. Maybe we begin by talking about our own personal experience with Shania Twain because I think we need to put a bit of a disclaimer that we're both huge Shania Twain fans. Yeah, this is not an unbiased look at Shania Twain. Yeah. And Shania was probably like one of the most formative 
artists of my youth i would think i would say that was really into her up album my love of shania twain also came from the up album it's one of the first cds i ever owned and Mm -hmm. which is strange because looking at her history and studying her you know her real praise comes from come on over and from and before come on over like nobody else talks about the up album but i think it's our age because you would have been nine, I would have been seven. Because it was because Up came out two thousand and two. Yeah. And do you remember that this CD had the red version and the green version? Oh, do I ever? <laughs> Were you more of a red version or a green version? I was definitely more red than green. I was more red than green too. I don't know anyone who played the green version. Maybe if you were more country. So to my, to my understanding, the red was supposed to be more poppy, more for like a party, whereas green was a little more classic country. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we always were, were playing the red. And I have to say, I do think I definitely jammed out to come on over too, now that I'm thinking. I don't know if I ever owned the album, but when I think of even like years later, I remember going to like grade nine dances in high school and listening to Man, I Feel Like a Woman in the Car when our parents drove us to the dance and like screaming that song to like as a pregame when we were like 13. I got into come on over in the year, the year after actually, because it just mysteriously came into my life. Like this was when a time when you would go just like buy albums. And so I just like mysteriously kind of ended up with it the year later. So I like knew all of her greatest hits basically. And then Obviously, when her greatest hits album came out, I want to say her greatest album was 2004, right? So, like, it was, like, three years in a row of, like, new content from Shania, even though it wasn't new content, like, but it was new content for me. And so by the time the greatest hits album came, I, like, knew the, the, like, Come On Over and Up and then some new songs from uh, her greatest hits album. So, I like, I had a pretty good range um, an understanding of her repertoire by that point, you know, <laughs> as a 10 year old or 11. I do think it's amazing. Like at least in Canada, to my understanding, just how like general, how gen- multi-generational her fan base is. Yeah. And she says this in interviews. And then I think like, why do I know this music? That's like late nineties. I was born in 1995. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is telling that like my favorite most nostalgic album of hers is up because I owned it and my sister yeah. too who's two years younger than me I said what's your favorite Shania Twain song preparing for this podcast and she said party for two which nobody oh says but I really like that song too so anyway all this to say that we're huge fans and um that's probably gonna come across <laughs> when we talk about her in a very unbiased way certainly not an unbiased take okay should we start with Start at the very beginning. She was born Eileen Edwards. She was born in Windsor, moved to Timmins when she was two. Um, and for those of you who are maybe outside of Ontario who don't know anything about um, Timmins, it's very far up north in Ontario. Very cold, very isolated. Small. Small town. But biggest city in that area, I feel like. Like kind of a urban center if you can call it that (laughs) yeah but yeah 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 but it's like the only city for miles is my understanding i've never been yeah but 
I at the age of two, her parents got divorced, and and her mom remarried to Jerry Twain, and so that's where the the Twain comes from. Jerry Twain isn't her real father, but her adopted father. Although she speaks about him, she calls him dad and stuff too. Yeah. In the early days of her uh, success, there was kind of I think some confusion about um, her ancestry as a result. And we should say Jerry Twain did adopt Shania and her siblings. Yeah. As well as I think his nephew. They had they had quite a big family. Mm-hmm. But they grew up experiencing poverty. She talks about frequently being hungry, wearing bread bags on her feet when her family couldn't afford winter boots, which struck me knowing she's from Timmins. Yeah. She talks about going to school without lunches or going to school with like mustard and bread to eat. Something I noticed that she said a lot throughout her life was that like she was too embarrassed to tell anybody. She was too embarrassed to like ask for help, to ask someone for that apple that they weren't going to eat as she said a couple times. She also talks about being like anxious about being found out by Children's Aid that if they knew that they were all hungry and, and not maybe being fed properly that her family would be broken up, which she couldn't, which she just really couldn't take. She talks also about the shame of like having greasy hair and not being properly bathed and, and struggling in that sense as well. She's, she's somebody who you can tell she keeps, and you'll see later in her career, like she keeps a lot of things very private. She's kind of introverted mm-hmm. and shy and she is embarrassed of things, which I think makes her kind of interesting. And you really see that she like struggled and I think it did shape her into the type of artist that she like wanted to do things on her own. She wanted to prove that, you know, she could do it on her own. She wanted to support herself. She wanted to take responsibility for herself as an artist. And I think like you can see very clearly when you look at her childhood, like how she became that way, you know? Right. And she does also talk about uh, an abusive home. Her father, Jerry frequently beat her mother she's she shares some pretty graphic anecdotes in her memoir um which we won't repeat but she she talks about like how she intervened when she was worried he was about to kill her mother um Mm -hmm. and she she also wasn't immune from the abuse she she too was abused by jerry physically sexually and verbally she talks about that about the way he spoke to her too um and how hard that was it's quite interesting to hear her talk about it now you know, she never seems angry she always seems sad but like happy sad at this both at the same time she talks about you know in between the violence everything went back to normal everyone just carried on as normal she also ha- said this quote about her father my father was a beautiful man both my parents were bad things happened to good people my father tried his hardest to overcome his own problems and issues and his own suffering silence. And the outcome was that the cycle did not get broken and the children had to suffer through it. And so did my mother. Yeah, I, I read that as well. And what I thought was so interesting and about that was her empathy. Like she just seems to have an incredible amount of empathy. She does. And I think that that's, that's how she stops. I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but like that seems to be why she doesn't just think of him as bad because she looks at the situation that he was in faced with like extreme poverty and trying to support um all these people especially when you know she wasn't even his biological daughter and he took her in and and so i think she she kind of looks at the whole situation and is able to to rationalize it and not excuse but it seems like she's got an incredible capacity for empathy 
Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's very interesting and certainly remarkable. I think this is a good transition to start talking about how music entered her life because mm-hmm. when she's telling her story about how she started in music, she really talks about music as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. She started really young. She started writing songs when she was 10. She talks about getting paid gigs in bars when she was eight. Which is crazy. <laughs> Which should be illegal. If, yeah. <laughs> She said that she wasn't thinking about being a star. She just wanted to escape from, uh, quote, everything, a violent home, tensions, nothing to eat. And it really works. It's therapeutic. A lot of kids play with dolls, and I played with words and sounds, which is so beautiful. <laughs> it is. And it's, I mean, when you actually hear her talk about the details of her singing in the bars as like an eight-year-old it's like pretty remarkable you know because what she said is that you know she'd go to bed at like a normal time for an eight-year-old and then her parents would wake her up at 11 to get dressed and get ready because she was only allowed in the bar after they stopped serving alcohol which was 12 o'clock so then she'd arrive at the bar and sing for a couple hours with all these mostly men who were drunk and then she'd go to go home go to sleep and go to school the next day it, it can't have been a nice experience you know and she doesn't talk about it that fondly. no she says not liking being she talks about not liking being yeah. around all those drunk people but she was paid for those gigs and that money mm-hmm. was used to support her family which yeah she continued to do after her mother and jerry died in a car accident when she was 21 she was singing in country bars in nashville when she got the news and she came home to take care of her brothers and sisters. She was just 21. I think her brothers were 13 and 14 and she had a younger sister as well. And she stayed for six years until they were grown up. She says, she's very humble about it. She doesn't say, she doesn't say she raised them. She says we raised each other. Oh, I've heard her say that she raised them, but she's, she, I agree. She's always mm-hmm. humble about it. She's like, you know, I don't think I did a good job. I was just, <laughs> I was just doing the best that I could to like uh, give them stability and help them out. But they were, you know, teenagers by that point, so it couldn't have been easy. Yeah, when they were a bit grown up, I think it was after about six years, she got signed to. She moved to Nashville and changed her name to Shania. Yeah, it's interesting because it sounds like she had a lot of opportunities to potentially get deals and things like that but she's it sounds like she was really picky she really knew what she wanted she wanted to be um and she didn't just want to make an album for the sake of it she was very particular about what she wanted and i think that that helped put her on like she was very ready for the right path and when she got it and i think that that helped catapult her into success because it wasn't you know she was 27 um, when she released her first album, which is... She wasn't, like, super pretty... young. Like, she wasn't, like... No. She'd been playing... That's what she said. She was really ready. Like, she'd been playing and yeah. writing songs for such a long time. She doesn't talk about that time in her life as being very um, enjoyable. Like, she didn't really revel in it. She just kept working and working and working. And I, I think that's what helped her get so famous and have hit after hit is because she never, like, lost sight of what she was trying to do. Whereas I think for a lot of people that that, like, can sometimes be their demise is that they get a bit caught up in the moment. So let's talk about the records. So The Woman in Me is her first. It's got songs like Any Man of Mine, 
Who's Bed Every mm-hmm. Boots Been Under, one of my favorites. favorites. I love those songs. Uh, and those she wrote completely on her own, is my understanding. And they didn't really get much critical success. Which is surprising, considering they're, they're like such st- good songs. <laughs> yeah. And well, and they've like lasted the test of time too, you know. Yeah, I think that I, I imagine like she kind of her fan base probably grew with coming over, and then people started to go back to those songs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which still seem quintessential Shania to me, even though they're for the big partnership with her husband, ex-husband, Mutt. The common thread through all of it is that she's kept writing, right? So she had the influence of somebody else who helped her maybe take things to the next level, but I think the essence of her and, and her songwriting never never left right so we'll get maybe we'll come back to mutt because she also she married him he's her co-writer so she starts out with woman and me she wrote she writes it she meets mutt and they start writing she releases mm-hmm. come on over which is a huge success i think it sells i think like 40 million copies like mm-hmm. a ton which has songs like you're still the one and man i feel like a woman which is a mandatory anthem to be played at bachelor bachelorette parties around the world and then in 2002 we get up which as you've heard already is near and dear to the hearts of both of us and then we get now in 2017 after 15 years which mm-hmm. she writes after her divorce with mutt and she writes without the help of mutt or anybody or anyone so let's talk about Robert Mutt Lang in that partnership, which has a double meaning. Maybe you can help me out with this, but it seems like in her early career, she has a bit of struggle between like not really wanting to be a country star, wanting to be more um, pop and then kind of flipping back to it and then going, okay, like I'm going to be country. But then hooking up with uh, Mutt is kind of like the perfect marriage of the two because he's from this rock background he produced um it was acdc acdc and uh def leopard them coming together created for the first time this um genre crossing in country that combined you know country music with pop and rock in a way that was really interesting and new um that has since become mainstream but became mainstream as a result of the work that they did together it seems Right. And I think we can also assume that, you know, he brought a level of experience in the industry when she was a little more, probably a little more green, right? Like he knew how to navigate that kind of thing. I, I think you're right. But it's, yeah, it sounds like he was very much like into the production side and she was very much into the voice. Like they had, they both had elements that they brought to the partnership that made it richer. So his contribution is something that it's described very differently when she when they're together and then described very differently after quote unquote the betrayal and they're no longer together but even when they're still together and she's kind of at her height she always says like he is more about the instrumentation my understanding is that the lyrics are all shania like the vocal performance is shania's right of course but she, in the more recent interviews, she talks about, like, 
she she gives him a lot less credit than she does when they're together. But even when they're together, she says things like, he really gave me room to be me. <laughs> like she still is, she's still kind of like, she kind of jealously guards her credit as she should, but it, it's, it's a bit funny because it does change. It certainly does. The way she describes it does change after they're no longer yeah. together. I don't, I don't know that we can fault her for that no. because I think I'd be saying the exact same thing. I'd be like, oh, I didn't need him. <laughs> Certainly not. As we know, they were married. Well, they got together very soon after meeting. They were like married, what, six months after they met? Really? I didn't know that. To- yeah, so it's, it's not even like they were like friendly. Like they were together from the beginning. It's probably such a powerful thing to be creating with somebody like that. I think so. Somebody that you're attracted to, too, like, that you're making something together. I think that's got to be something that kind of bonds you. Yeah, and I think it's also, like, kind of a crutch, too. Not to say, like, that it, that it necessarily was, but that you have someone to lean on and to have someone to bounce some ideas off of and then to then have to do that process totally alone, I think, would have been really hard yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. so and it's true like you say like she lost a partner in life and also a partner in her career like it, it was like two huge losses it wasn't just like a you know a personal relationship it was a professional relationship too should we talk about the betrayal mud and shania moved to switzerland in the early 2000s and they have she has one son called asia Yes, Asia Lang. A, um, born in 2001, who is Mutt's son as well. Yeah, so so they're living in Switzerland, living this very quiet life, which she seems to take quite a bit of pride in. And then, of course, that all kind of falls apart when it emerges that um, her husband, uh, Mutt Lang, has been having an affair with their uh, PA, but also Twain's very close friend. Marion Tabo. Who lived very close to them. The relationship that schneif seems to describe what between her is like that that marianne just like knew everything about shania that they were very close that she understood how important her private life and her personal life was to shania and how much that she loved mud and how much how much their family meant to her and so i think when she found out about the affair that was also part of why she was so hurt was because it was with this person that she thought she could trust who had reassured her once when she said she suspected mud of cheating and said of course not how could anyone cheat on you just terrible so of course she discovered the affair actually because um marie ann's husband came to her with receipts and um different uh bills to kind of like prove that they had been like staying in hotels together or whatnot and what's kind of interesting was always really interesting to me is that you know marianne was meant to be this like really really close friend but shania says she doesn't she didn't even really know fred at all like yeah she had hardly even like she didn't even have his phone number well i do wonder how this is like jessica simpson <laughs> all the people her closest friends are people who work for her and this woman was her personal assistant right but also her best friend i, I don't think that's so uncommon with famous people people that they spend the most time with the people who are on their staff they are their best friends like it's kind of sad that's why you know there's all these profiles about how it's actually a really lonely life and that kind of thing yeah 
But then what happens? So by the time the news breaks about this whole thing, it comes out very quickly after that she's actually gotten together with Marianne's husband, Fred uh, Thibault, who is very strikingly handsome. (laughs) Yeah, he is. I'm like, I feel like we upgraded here, to be honest, Shania. I think she did great. Life's about to get good. (laughs) (laughs) During the period of the betrayal, she's still going through another pretty serious hardship. She loses her voice. At the end of the up tour, she is having trouble with her voice. She knew she got bit by a tick and had Lyme disease, but they caught it really early. They found the tick. And Mm -hmm. she knew she was having problems with her voice, but she just attributed it to being exhausted. I mean, she'd been on the road for like two years or something she had she's on the had a really long tour and kind of years went by and her voice wasn't really recovering and it took quite a long time for her to realize or and for her doctors to realize that the Lyme disease had caused nerve damage and that she essentially had some slight atrophying on both sides of the vocal cords uh, which was affecting her her voice and was kind of ended up being it's like a chronic injury that she just has now the vocal cords itself themselves are not necessarily damaged but it's her ability to control her voice Mm -hmm. so i didn't know that much about lyme disease and it's like interesting how like much it can just like take over your body so she kind of had to do like a vocal physiotherapy so she was doing like physical movement while singing and that kind of thing she talks about how she still needs a very long vocal warm-up before she can even sing at all. She can't really do any spontaneous singing, and she needs to really prepare out of a fear of, of damaging them. And um, and it's, I think it's a big deal for a singer. Like, it's it's how she's made her living. It's who she's, she's something she's been doing since she was a kid. It's how, kind of how you see yourself when you're a singer. Um, I think that the fact that this was still going on, she was still rehabbing this around the same time that her husband, she found out about this affair it was just really devastating. It was kind of a one-two punch for her, but she did recover. I know she's still, it's kind of like a, a chronic injury, like this, this nerve damage, like she'll have it maybe forever, but she's, she was well enough. Um, took her about 10 years, but she had a two year Las Vegas residency in starting in 2012 that went until the end of 2014. And then she released after t- 15 years since the up, album which was the last album she released now in 2017 which she wrote entirely herself without Mutt. should we talk about shania's legacy let's do it i think she's been described as a country rebel should we talk about how what she kind of did within country music well one of the biggest things that i think she's been championed for um is was her ability to cross genre which is something i mentioned before and that was something like very innovative within her actual music Mm -hmm. and that she people have said that there wouldn't be a taylor swift without shania twain which i just think is i think taylor swift has said that too well she's called that's why she's called the queen of country pop like i think that country pop is so normal now that we forget that it was there's a lot of resistance to i mean there's still resistance to it and there's a lot of criticism what we would call stadium pop and if you need a reference for that please check out Bo Burnham's country song from his last special it is one of my favorite things so but country pop really like she is kind of is credited for bringing that in I think that she deserves it I don't I think that yeah 
even if Taylor's people like Taylor Swift and Miranda Lambert hadn't haven't hadn't actually said that they admired her and that she was really important to their career, like it's undeniable that we don't have Taylor Swift or Miranda Lambert in this way that we do without without Shania Twain. And I don't know why she keeps in every profile I've read, they talk about these other country female singers, but I don't think that we have Luke Bryan or Florida Georgia Line without Shania Twain either. People actually say that about Keith Urban. Or Keith Urban. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think it's, like, I mean, obviously she's a strong feminist icon, but I don't think that her influence is exclusively for women, you know? I think think it's country music at large and creating, I would say, almost her own genre because it's this mix of country and pop that lives in its own its own realm and i think that man i feel like woman is so like can be so rock and roll too and there's mm-hmm. so much like crunchy guitars too like in that in that era like i just think yeah let's call it shania let's give her her let's give her her own genre <laughs> yeah and of course so not only was she very innovative um in how she mixed genres but she was obviously also a champion uh for femininity and changed um within country especially mm-hmm. the idea of what um a female country singer had to dress like look like act like yeah i think that we see that best in her lyrics she is very like quote unquote strong woman like any man of mine better walk the line like she is very or um honey i'm home it's like the image of her kicking off her boots and opening a beer you know um she's definitely she definitely you know reformed the idea of what a woman should be through her lyrics i also think that we have to talk about her outfits i think that her fashion Mm -hmm. is such a big part of the shania persona it's any man of mine in that video like the idea of a woman in country music showing midriff was a pretty big deal at the time and Liv and I were talking about this online about how the way she, t- even now, the way she talks about her fashion and she had a, she has had a really um, like fruitful, long relationship with a designer whose name escapes me, but like she's so deliberate with the way that she puts together her, her costumes and her clothing and, and the kind of persona that she's created. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like that goes beyond just how much she seems to love leopard print. But hmm. I do think that like that iconic, absolute iconic outfit and that don't impress me much with like the leopard print hooded jumpsuit thing like it'll just be burned in our brains forever it's something that i notice in a lot of successful women who are in control of their careers they tend to be really deliberate and they're very calculated and i think that it sometimes gets a bad rap you know you you see like Mm. taylor swift absolutely torn apart for how calculated she appears to be but i honestly see it so often with successful women that i actually think it's like a key to being successful and it's a shame that it's not more celebrated okay in terms of being calculated is this a good point is this a good time to talk about a time where she wasn't being very calculated <laughs> sure in terms of her politics she got a lot of flack a couple years ago i think it was i think it was 2018 there's a piece in the guardian about her i think it was part of her um, promotional tour for now i believe where she says that if she was eligible to vote for trump for she was eligible to have voted in 2016 she would have voted for trump and she said 
this is a quote just to be very accurate i would have voted for him because even though he was offensive he seemed honest do you want straight or polite now that you shouldn't be able to have both if i were voting i just don't want bullshit she apologized she she didn't really she didn't take like she didn't take it back she didn't say she was wrong she said she wanted to apologize to anybody she is offended with in her recent interview the question caught me off guard I am passionately against discrimination of any kind. I hope it's clear from the choices I have made and the people I stand with that I do not hold any common moral beliefs with the current president. So I feel like we had to talk about this because we're heralding her as this feminist icon. I think that the pieces that I read about this voting for Trump comment like kind of struck me because I, I read a lot of pieces by like LGBTQ plus people who because she has been like a queer icon, like do you know how many like drag queens dress up as um, Shania Twain and admire her? Like it was, I think it was really disappointing for a lot of communities when she said this, and her her apology was kind of, you know, dumb and I don't know. I just think that we have to like I don't want to put her on too much of a pedestal without looking at the nuance of of what she said. I read an interesting piece that I think for me, really articulated how I felt about the situation. And it was just that this is someone who's been through some abuse herself. And so obviously it's like very shocking to see um, how she could be supportive of someone who is like a known abuser. Mm -hmm. Um, But abuse itself is, uh, this is from the article, is inherently confusing experience that intentionally commingles love violence and control uh and is processed individually so i think that like all my point is to say that people process their experiences in their lives and their stories differently and um how she's dealing with her own internal struggle is in my opinion like just her business i do think when someone's brand is feminism questions like that become more fair i mean they're always fair game but i don't think it's as i I don't feel as bad for her for not being prepared for that answer too for that that question i should say i i agree i think that for someone who is we know to be so calculated she probably should have made a better decision in that moment but in the context of the interview the interviewer right before he asked her that had her pretty riled up about the personal betrayal in her life and she was uh had some quite choice words for uh marie ann and so in that moment i do believe her when she says that she was like quite caught off guard and i think did falter in um in making the right decision about what to say there I do think that, that the, the context of that piece is really interesting because the, some of the stuff that, not that it's an excuse and it's still like, seems like it was an opinion she genuinely had that she would have held back if she didn't, but now we know what she thinks and maybe there's value in that. I don't know. But it's, if you read the piece, the stuff that she says about, yeah, her former best friend is pretty graphic. She says about, yeah. I, I dream of doing bad things to her in my dreams. She called her the C word. And this is a person who like, is, is very reserved and introverted in how she interviews and how she reacts with the press and the media. She's very yeah. deliberate. Like you could tell even just by reading the, reading the interview that she was very emotional. <laughs> in that interview. Yeah. Like this stuff. Yeah. She doesn't even swear like normally. Right. 
And she was swearing in that interview. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure how that makes me feel about her. I don't know what this does to her legacy. I don't. I do think that it's important. It's an important piece of her because we're talking about her as a total figure, not just as the singer of our favorite songs. I think that what I take away from this is that, like, nobody is perfect, despite every attempt that you might make to come across to the world that you are. I think it's just, it's just that. It's like, we're not trying to, like, put her on this pedestal and just say, like, wow, you know, she's overcome so much adversity. Like, she is absolutely perfect and she can do anything. That's, you know, that's never the message. The message is that she's a real person and, and we love her for so many reasons, but... That doesn't mean that she never makes mistakes. People are complicated. Where is Shania now? What's she up to? So, I mean, Shania recently was in a movie. She did a bunch of press for that, with, which is kind of cool. With the guy from... Uh, KJ Appa. Riverdale, really? Riverdale, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of cool. And I think it's like, it's kind of interesting to see her constantly like, pushing herself and doing new things, mm-hmm. uh, despite being older like she's really like she really made a comeback when she came back you know she didn't just like she's not just sitting on the sidelines she's she's getting involved she's doing new things and um it's really it's really interesting to see and it's really fun for me too personally that she's just like back in the mainstream back in the conversation because i love hearing about her and i love hearing what she's up to i'm always curious well here's see what she does next yeah and i hope that she tours again yeah but tbd on that i'm pretty sure i went to the goodbye tour that was after what was supposed to be a goodbye tour so when did you see her i saw her in 2015 at what used to be called cops coliseum in hamilton my biggest regret is not i've had like so many opportunities to maybe go to her concert and i just i never pulled the trigger and honestly it's one of my biggest regrets it's a good show it's it's worth seeing so final thoughts katie thank you to shania for my youth she's still the one was it like there has to be other taglines shania she impresses me much well that's way worse than she's still the one yeah thanks see you next week 